Hey guys, it's Amelia Singer here on Ameliorate Through Wine, where I pair wine to international guest palettes, personalities, and personal stories. I am thrilled that this podcast is being vigorously propelled by the Rothschild Wine Collection from Good House Wadston, all named synonymous with a century-old legacy of art and wine craftsmanship. I really couldn't think of a better pairing for this wine and culture podcast. From the early 1920s to the present day, the Rothschild family's profound love for both art and wine coming together has been at the heart of their journey. Their family's artistic heritage distinguishes the labels, often telling a unique story that gives an extra dimension into their exceptional wines. With handcrafted bottles created by celebrated artists, mesmerizing cellar installations, and label artwork produced by members of the family themselves, the Rothschild's timeless commitment to the fusion of art and wine is a legacy that continues to inspire connoisseurs and enthusiasts alike. Visit goodhousewadston.com for more information. So now, sit back, pour yourself a glass, and enjoy. Well, I am super excited to have, I would actually go so far as to say, a national treasure. Borderline, probably. Borderline. Borderline, borderline, borderline. national treasure. <laughs> English television presenter, actor, journalist, and current entertainment editor for ITV's breakfast show, Good Morning Britain. On my sofa today, I have Richard Arnold. And a slow clap echoes around the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite the talk up. Quite the Not talk up. I'm so excited because we have indeed met online we and have. done some wine tasting stuff together online during lockdown. I remember it fondly because I remember I had quite a glow on by the end of it because <laughs> I was in my den. Dickie's den became a mechanic. Uh, on the show when I wasn't allowed in the studio because they'd reduced the footfall inevitably because of COVID. So Dickie's Den became this sort of cult uh, venue, if you like, within the Good Morning Britain set <laughs> where I would do most of my homespun interviews. And yours was definitely one of the most memorable. And given the fact that I had many A-listers uh, <laughs> Zooming me during that particular time, the fact that I do remember yours so fondly, the fact that I remember it at all, given the Actually, wine that yeah, we drank, no, that's a testament. Um, is quite a leap of faith. I'm just looking at a coaster here, just to paint a picture of where yeah. we are in your lovely home. Royal Borough of Gorgeousness, totally Fabulous, uber-talented Glamopus lives here. Will she be coming? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. You look fabulous. It's great I, to see you, genuinely. <laughs> it's so good to see you. And we did say, we finished with, when we were doing our Instagram Live, and yeah. I sent some wines to you, we finished with the fact that we needed to do a louche lunch, so now yeah. we're at mine, and I've ordered some delicious Italian food, which I wish I had prepared, but you're a way better cook than me, and we will get on to that. And we also finished on something leading up to Chan Channing Tatum, which oh. I will get to later yes. after some wine. As I always like to say on my podcast, I pair three wines to people based on their personality. Sadly, you have none. So I've just had to go with your palate <laughs> and also your personal I'm story. I'm just gutted you're not pairing me with Channing Tatum. <laughs> uh, this, isn't, this isn't what I was sold at all. <laughs> And uh, this first wine is, well, I know that you love your white wines being slightly kind of not too fruity, but you love your Chardonnays from Burgundy. You like kind of wines which are opulent. They can have a little bit of oak, but not too vanilla-y. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to show you something which was opulent, 
radiant from a place which I know you love to visit for wine. Okay. But it's a grape which I'm not sure you've come across, and I'm really excited to introduce you to it. So, cheers, Richard. Cheers. Okay. Right. So happy you can join me on my sofa. This is. Lovely. So I go in now. Do yeah, you I? go in. What we do? Remember from the Instagram live, we do the swirly, swirly. The swirly, swirly. To release this is the why flavors. you've got such a reputation in your field. Oh, is no. it? <laughs> technical term. Swirly, well, swirly. Well, and then it leads on to the next technical term, the sniffy, sniffy, because ninety right. percent of what you taste is what you smell. So I hope you haven't got a cold. No, not at all. And what I love about this grape is, as you can see, it's super golden and honeyed and opulent in the glass. And then when you smell it, what I love, what this grape can do is you get these kind of baked apples and apricots and peaches, Very which insinuates nice. that it might have a bit of sunshine from where it comes from. Okay, right. And then you do the slurpy slurpy, but you're not being filmed here. So, so <laughs> you can go for it because you basically want to oxygenate the wine on your tongue as if you're sucking in oxygen through a straw, because that will really release hopefully the wonderful flavours going on. I would suck on. anything to restore at the moment. My mouth is as dry <laughs> as a dead dingo's donger after <laughs> this morning's broadcast and a trip to the gym. So yeah, bottoms up indeed. Bottoms okay. up. It's, so, it's more minerally than I was anticipating. It is, but hopefully there's still a lot of fruit there too. Oh, there's plenty of fruit. And there's good acidity. Now that minerality, so I've actually taken you away to Stellenbosch because I know you ah, love visiting that region. I was very lucky, very lucky. Yeah, to go on um, two occasions, actually. Yeah, it's one of my favourite parts of the world. Currently, of course, we're Love Island. Exactly. Is taking exactly. place. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I had to, I thought it was important to bring you there. Um, I know that you love your Chardonnays. And this, what I love about this grape, it's a Chenin Blanc, which I actually think should be the national grape of South Africa. I think they do this grape particularly well. You do get it in other parts of the world, mm. like France, they're doing it in California. But what I think um, is amazing about South Africa is that the oldest vines in South Africa tend to be these Chenin Blanc grapes because no one really valued them. They were more interested in the 80s and 90s to like plant Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon to keep up with the rest of the world. And it's only really lately that they're like, oh my gosh, these old bush vines, these gnarly things, which look ugly, but actually produce these very, very intense small berries of the Chenin Blanc grape, which gives you that extra intensity of ripe golden fruit, apricots, quince. I love quince. I know mm. that like, not, yeah, it, it kind of has that. And um, this is actually from Waitrose. And I know that you're a huge Waitrose lover and you love to get, you know, your wines from Co-op or Waitrose. And this is £13.99. Well, this um, buys into what I firmly believe as well. I mean, obviously Waitrose, some people think is a bit toppy and it can be. But um, if you... Um, willing to trawl, mm -hmm. uh, you can find some lovely stuff. So a Chenin Blanc, I wouldn't necessarily uh, go for, but South Africa, yes, yes, and Stellenbosch, I would be drawn to because I've never been disappointed. And I always find that uh, you get very good ones at a very reasonable, reasonable price. price. And um, so this, it's, it's called, I'm going to, I'm really bad at speaking Afrikaans. This is Kapsig, so it's spelled, Kapsigs. for, for um, listeners, it's spelled K-A-A-P-Z-I-C-H-T, which I think, I think you meant to say Kapsigt. Kapsigt. That translates as Cape View. And um, it's a wonderful winemaker, uh, Danny, who actually left me like a little voice note because I was like, I love your wine. It says on the bottle here, bush vines. So that's a, in reference to these old bush vines. And actually the grapes are over 40 years old. And I say that concentration of flavor really reveals the fact that it comes from that. And also it's the first 
certified, I'm, I'm going to get this right, the first certified heritage vineyard to be distributed nationally because there's this amazing project in South Africa called the Old Vine Project where they're trying to preserve all these old vineyards and this is the first wine to ever come from this kind of project mm. and be distributed outside of South Africa. So going back to your point on quality, you're getting these old vines, you're getting from this preserved heritage vineyard. And yeah, it's under 14 pounds. Under 14 pounds. I mean, you cannot fault that. I remember going to Stellenbosch the very last time. And it was just, speaking of Love Island, it was just before the pandemic kicked in. And I was out there interviewing uh, the former host, Laura Whitmore, who's a, a pal of mine. And obviously it was, it was quite a giddy trip. We were in and out. And I was with my camera crew, uh, Ed and Johnny. And uh, we had the Sunday off while we were out there. And yeah. so I said, come on, boys, uh, Ed, bless him, great behind the wheel of a car, uh, cameraman, he drove us up to Stellenbosch. And so I treated them to a tasting menu in one of the vineyards. And I remember, obviously, as COVID kicked in and the headlines around the world, of course, uh, for everybody were absolutely horrendous. Uh, the ones from South Africa particularly resonated because, as I say, I've been lucky enough to go there. And of course, the wine industry, particularly the smaller ones, of course, the smaller cellar doors were absolutely devastated. And, absolutely. and during that period, South Africa had a very, very strict prohibition. Prohibition. It was crazy. Uh, which was devastating, obviously, uh, for the industry. So uh, this is a lovely trip down memory lane. And also, if you told me you were opening with a Chenin Blanc, I would have thought we would have fallen out. <laughs> But I'm absolutely sold. Um, and least of all, because as I mentioned earlier, I've got a bit of a thirst on. Well, and I also wanted to choose him because he's a, I know that you're a huge dog lover, which we're going to be going on to. Amen. But um, this is, uh, he loves dogs. He grew up with six dogs and loves Jack Russells because they're right. apparently very good, like winery dogs. And he actually, so his first one was actually called Savvy, as in Sauvignon Blanc. But now, his favourite one, he shouldn't really have a favourite, it's actually called Shannon, named Shannon. after Shannon Blanc. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of the days when I did a cameo on Footballers' Wives for those people old enough oh, to remember the series in Chardonnay. Um, I remember filming that in Shoreditch, and I thought, well, there I am, I'm sharing a, a frame with Chardonnay, which is one of my favourite <laughs> screw tops. Uh, I'm talking, obviously, about I the wine that. and not the character. <laughs> So yeah, I thought this one was a really fun one to start off with. Um, also in front of us, thanks to my wonderful, very uh, luxe supper app, we have um, a burrata with pesto. What I love about Chenin Blanc is you can easily just kind of drink it on its own, quench your thirst. It's a beautiful sunny day. The sunshine's streaming in, which makes me already excited to have this outside. I feel dappled, actually. I feel yeah. dappled. I, I mean, we're filming this, I think, or, or rather recording this on, on what... Um, we're told is going to be the warmest day of the year so February far. February the 15th, Which yeah. isn't too shabby after Valentine's Day, isn't it? To no. be basking in this glow and yours. <laughs> but yeah, I also thought it would work well with kind of creamy cheeses. It can stand up to pesto. It, wor it works well when you're free poor, just so yeah. we're clear, oh, yeah. moving uh forward <laughs> for the purposes of this show. <laughs> well, lots of, I think, the moments now, because you say you love cooking at home, like you always... Like when you came earlier and I was like, uh, do I warm this stuff up in the oven? You're like, I don't know. Like, I was just I... thrilled to see you put a J cloth around the skirting boards, to be honest. <laughs> it, it, I don't know listeners, but, but she lives in squalor. I don't know whether you know that. I'm trying to paint a fragrant picture of Amelia. But, you know, she looks great, but 
yeah it's a home <laughs> it's a home yeah, and beautiful. yeah Richard was saying oh you know I normally cook I don't really order things and delivery and I know that you like for you how you enjoy wine you also said to me in the past you do obviously there's your favourite brasseries and certain restaurants and things but you do love cooking at home sharing wine with friends and I family do. at and, home and food is very much also part of my travel too I, I love nothing more than breaking bread with people at home as I said to you before my Sundays are sacrosanct because I love having uh, people over and cooking what you might I suppose call an applause meal you know yeah, the Sunday roasts I, I've cooked for as long as I can remember so I love that ritual um, that's very important to me and, and with regard to traveling I, 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 with me I always think well you can't really escape bad food because it'll always repeat on you but if you're in bad company you can either make that company better or you can leave the room but, yeah. but bad food and bad wine Oh, combined no. You, no. You, you would you would try to avoid so I'm very <laughs> much a sort of food tourist and and again it, it doesn't have to be you know you know some it doesn't have to be toppy at all you know I love all these pop-up restaurants and pop-up stalls and I, I, I remember going of all places to a hotel called Hotel Emma in San Antonio and I remember again it was it was very sort of foody trip that had been organized, I was very lucky it had been organized for me. And it was shortly after my father passed away. So a Texas road trip came at just the right time because I, I could get out on the open road. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and this is the best uh, mum yeah. was well taken care of here and it was a good couple of months after he passed away. So I was able to go away on this trip that had already been pre-planned and mourn him in my own way. But as a result, I ended up meeting up with friends around Texas um, one case in point was San Antonio and they had some fantastic restaurants there and again all sourced locally you know the produce it was spectacular and it, it, it it's funny in a way because after dad passed away I had I just wanted to eat yeah. I, I, the most yeah. it was almost like I because I'm an only child I felt like perhaps it was going to be or I was going to be the well clearly the last of the line so I, I needed to look after myself even yeah, more yeah, yeah. You know, particularly for mum. And so I just remember that trip, as well as the lovely moments being out on the road. Uh, or Anyone who's ever lost anyone close to them know, will know that there's only so much country music you can listen to. So I had to switch that off <laughs> after a while because I was starting to get a bit mournful on these road trips where there was only my good self and a, a load of armadillo roadkill, you know, because they're yeah. quite long drives in Texas. But really? I just remember being nourished when I went there. And, 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 and food and wine was very much a part of that. So, uh, yeah, that, that was extraordinary. But Dallas uh, tends to be a city that I've gone to and have written about um, many times. And they have a, a, a great restaurant scene. And I love it when people come up and go, oh, all right, Rich. And then we sit down and we'll, we'll end up having a bevy together. I love that. I love that a lot. So, again, it's about the ritual of not just drinking the wine. It's the breaking of the bread. It's nursing the martini and then yeah. the conversation that flows afterwards. Um, I suppose we should interject and say that not, you don't necessarily need alcohol <laughs> as a facilitator. But I think we all know it helps. It's, it's, it's a wonderful life enhancer. Yes. And Boom. a great connector, I would say. Also, like you're sitting in front of me um, and you look amazing. For someone who loves food and wine and has grueling work hours, as you've said, for the last 26 years. Are you uncomfortable that I don't have my top on? <laughs> I've just brought out a second wine to match with Richard, um, based on what I know he likes, based on our past. And also, um, I love getting people to try things they would never normally try. And Richard had told me that he doesn't normally like rosé. So as soon as a guest tells me something like that, I'm like, okay, well, let's just 
make them not get so kind of focused on the color. And in front of us, we have a glass of wine, which is kind of coppery, hued, iron brew hued, depending on where you grew up. How would you describe that? Well, it radiates the light. But then kind most of salmon li- pink. Most liquids do, don't they, in a, <laughs> in a nice bit of stemware. Uh, yeah, it is more of a salmon pink, definitely more of salmon a salmon pink. Salmon pink, salmon pink. And when you smell it, what I love about this wine is, again, it's kind of a bit unnerving. I get kind of baked apples, baked pear. You know, like, I don't normally like desserts. Mm. As we were discussing, we're not huge dessert fans, but, like, baked pear and red wine with, like, a kind of clove. There's, like, that kind of element going on. Well, it's more robust than you'd expect of a rosé, but is it a rosé? Is, that is a it a rosé? Really? Is it a rosé? I don't know about you, Daniel, l- but I'm on a knife edge. <laughs> on a knife edge I know, now. I've served you Chenin Blanc, which also you would not have come to. And if you know <laughs> no, I was serving I you this... <laughs> it's going to be a very long afternoon. <laughs> Well, it's absolutely... Is it, it, it's, is it like a Sancerre, like a rosé Sancerre? So, I've been mean to you. It is made from a white... Well, it's made from a Pinot Grigio. Right. But Pinot Grigio, Grigio is in grey, refers to the fact that the grape is actually grey-skinned. And so when you press the grapes and you let the juice rest on the skin, so you get that wonderful coppery hue. And this is made by a top, top Pinot Grigio producer from the Friuli region, which is, I don't know if you remember, but when we did the Wonderbirds, I did a wine tasting based around some really aromatic, beautiful white wines from the northeast Italy, because that's like my favorite part for white wines from Italy. So this is from an amazing producer who specializes in aromatic white wines, but with his uh, whites, he leaves them in bottle for two years. So this is actually 100% Pinot Grigio from 2020. It's been aged partially in oak, but it's more to give it that succulent, creamy texture. And it basically gets just more coppery in hue. And his white wines are made to be drunk in 10 years' time, 15 years' time. You know, they are meant to be really gastronomic, complex wines. This is delicious. It's amazing. This is delicious. Yeah, no, it's... Um, I got so the two wines I paired for our Louche lunch today. Both are from Hedonism Wines, because I thought that was fairly appropriate. Yes. Um, <laughs> you clearly Googled me. <laughs> Next question. Um, I also just wanted to show you, like, not to be put off by colour, because I bet if that was served to you in a restaurant or at an event, you probably wouldn't go near it. I also really love white wines, and I thought you would too, which have that weighty complexity and ageability. So it's almost like a white wine, which could be a red, in that kind of very interesting changeling um, style. And this is made by an amazing winemaker, Gianfranco Gallo, not related to the Gallo family in America. But because of that, he used to call his wines Gallo and then he got a cease and desist from the Gallo family. He's not alone. <laughs> so now, again, this is also what made me think of us. Okay. His winery is called like um, Vi de Romans, but um, so Vi, um, or Vi de Romans, which basically, Vi de Romans, which refers to these two very famous uh, Roman roads in Friuli. But I read that as Via de Romans, as in we're like living the Roman way <laughs> by having wine and food on it's my sort of a sofa. fest. <laughs> well, it's turning into a veritable Saturnalia just sat here on your sofa bed. I'm assuming this comes out. Yes. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, this is their top, top Pinot Grigio made from their top two parcels of land, Decimus. Right. And then yeah, like Vida Romans. And then this is 50 pounds at Hedonism, but I think it is oh, just wow. so complex, so beautiful. Clean. Okay, so yeah, that, I mean, that's a very toppy bottle, but it's the sort of bottle that you'd, that would be it. Yeah. There'd yeah. be absolutely no need to go any further. 
Yeah, um, and I just, I just kind of thought it's just such it's beautiful absolutely wine. Absolutely delicious. This is an extraordinary <laughs> treat. And we're having Italian food, so I was like. I always say when I used to teach my wine and um, cooking classes at Leith's Cookery School, whatever grows together goes together. So if you're ever struggling with wine pairings, if you try and think of, oh, okay, where did this dish come from? If you think of, you know, um, the region or whatever, get a wine from that region, then you're 90% there. Yeah. Now we've got an arrangement of different things going on. I actually got the octopus out because I thought it would go very well with the kind of tomato-y, chili, garlicky sauce. I think it would go amazing well with the burrata. We've got pizza and pasta later. I think though it's such a versatile wine, it would go with everything. Am I moving in? Yes. <laughs> that was part of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like we need a safe word so, <laughs> so I can get out of Dodge. Well, I mean, clearly it, it's, it's, it's an expensive wine by anyone's standards, but it is absolutely, spe- I mean, it is absolutely spectacular. It's very delicious. If you'd have told me that was a Pinot Grigio, I never, well, ever would have believed you. Um, yeah, so I thought it would be fun for you to try, be great with the food. And then I also thought, like you, you can't really be put in a box. You've done all kinds of things. Although there's nothing wrong with wine in a box. There's nothing wrong with wine in a box. No. Uh, actually, I, I talked to Jamie Hintz and Robbie Furs about that. Did We're you? very big into wine in a box. Yep. Wines in a can. Mm. But like, I basically look at you and I think, oh my goodness, I think you basically have had most people's dream job. You've got to be editor, writer, you've, had to, you've been able to dance, you've been able to sing, you do interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world. How did you get into this? I mean, originally you were going to be a lawyer at Edinburgh I, University. I, well, I said, well, yeah, I, I did start off. Well, as I, I, you know, I started off, as I say, stacking shelves, cutting grass at the local council. I uh, went to Edinburgh initially to study law and business because I suppose in the late 80s, my parents, uh, hard workers both, but not particularly academic. Uh, and so uh, I, when I went to university, because it was the late 80s, it, it, everything was much more vocationally driven. I do remember going for a careers uh, advice at school, and because I had my three sciences, and I, I think for some people the, the exam system works, and for some people it doesn't, and I feel quite strongly about that. And I, yeah, I have a, a I you know, you can show me a brief, you can show me piece of text and I, I, you know, perhaps a little less now that I've ripened an age into my third act, but certainly at the time I could memorise quite a bit and so I learnt it and so I got the grades and, and managed to jump through the hoops of what the system was like at the time. So it very much worked for me, but the vocational side of things, you were either going to be a doctor or you were going to be a lawyer. The, uh, <laughs> the career uh, advisor at school suggested, because I had the three sciences, that I should be a lab technician. Now anyone who's ever seen me work over the last three decades, we'll clearly know that, well, for a start, I can't wear white because I like to drink. Um, not that I'm going to soil myself, but it does bring up <laughs> the thread veins in your nose. Um, so <laughs> it can make you look a little flushed. So white is not my best friend. Uh, and also, I'm not clearly that way inclined. My brain doesn't work like that. I'm, I'm much more, I suppose, a creative. So, you know, I did a lot of local radio. I did a lot of turns on um, various shows and, and gradually built up a bit of a reputation, I suppose. Um, hopefully a professional one. And so it, I, I do feel that radio and certainly breakfast has always been yeah. a natural home for me. I yeah. do, I'm an early bird. I've never been a late night uh, sort of chap. I've had my moments, 
But I'm very much, and always have been, uh, an early bird. I like to get up at the crack of a sparrow's cough. And, um, uh, but I have, I suppose, that the key ingredient, which is the same for any job, is I had enthusiasm for it. Genuinely interested in, in stories. I think everybody's got a story yeah. um, that's worth listening to. Uh, you have to listen. You have to, you ask the questions, but it pays to listen to the responses. And everybody is worth listening to, I think. Was there ever, I guess you can't really say on air, I was going to say, what was probably the most difficult interview? It doesn't even have to be on the, like, due to the guest, but just yeah. due to just, you know, you want to listen, but there could be all kinds of crazy things going on around well, you. I don't know. I love interviewing. And more often than not, the theatre around an interview uh, is, is the sort of the best part of the job. You know, uh, two examples. I remember going in to interview Barbara Streisand in New York. It was uh, September and it was a very, very hot uh, autumn in New York. And we were in a hotel on the Upper East Side and I'd never met Barbara before. And I remember walking in and um, occasionally the subjects of the interview sort of brought into us because we might have our own dedicated room. But in this case, obviously, we're coming to see Barbara. So it's all set up. <laughs> And I go in and I duck under the lights and sit down and I'm in position. I'm chatting to her rather like I'm talking to you now. Same proximity, actually. I, I could um, be Barbara Streisand. You could be, yeah. yeah. But if you get any closer, it will be awkward. Um, <laughs> so Barbara, <laughs> Barbara uh, is clearly having an eye on everything. And I remember I was talking to her just to warm her up a little bit, like Barbara needs warming up, you know. <laughs> I mean, who fluffs Barbara Streisand, you know. So, um, or Streisand. Oh, is Stry that? No, it's Streisand. Because I said Streisand, <gasps> and um, she corrected me immediately because it's Streisand, but the Brits always say Streisand. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was me wrapped on the knuckles to begin with, but she was perfectly fine with it, and we were getting on and we were chatting, and then just before we rolled the tape, if you like, and the interview started, she went, did you move that fruit bowl? Not to me, but to the director. Barbara, of course, is across everything. Anyway, halfway wow. through the interview, I have told this story before, but it leaves on your research, where, and... You're having a chat, you think you're getting along very well, and then she stops the interview halfway through. And she went, can you just stop for a second? And I'm thinking, oh, blimey, I thought this was going quite well, actually. Well, God bless her, she got a tissue, and she leant across and dabbed the top of my lip because I'd got a bit of a bead on, obviously because I'm meeting Barbara. <laughs> well, and I was going to do the same, hard. but I yeah, just didn't want to embarrass you. Yeah, don't touch yeah. me, because it would just get awkward. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> uh, dabbed my top lip and it was one of those extraordinary moments where for a moment I thought oh my god, oh my god. she said we got to take care of each other right and as I say like the fruit bowl Barbara was across the detail so she didn't want me to look bad in the interview because I had a bit of a sweat on because as I explained it was very hot and uh it was afterwards that I went downstairs that I really thought, oh, well, I have been anointed by Barbara Streisand. She yeah. touched me. <laughs> and so I had a very strong, dirty martini after that interview, I can tell you. Possibly two or three. So there were those moments where you think, oh, my goodness me, this could have gone either way. And then there was another moment talking about um, it pays to do your research. Yeah. Where uh, at the time, Shirley MacLaine was in Downton Abbey. So we had access to Shirley MacLaine as she was guest starring. And she also had a book out. Now, anyone who's familiar with Shirley MacLaine will know that she has some very out there theories about life, the universe, etc. Yep. Yep. Uh, but what a character. She came into, we were doing it at the Ritz, and she walked into the room. I remember thinking, wow, I mean, this is someone who's witnessed every chapter of Hollywood history, and not just in recent memory, you know. 
And she walked into the room and I remember noticing she was wearing a very comfortable shoe and why not, easy spirit, my mum's favourite. And uh, she said, well, I know where I'm sitting. And uh, opposite her, there was, you know, the lighting was all set up to favour her. And as she pointed out to me, she said, and I never thought I'd hear this sentence in my life. She said, I learned everything about lighting from Marlena Dietrich. Which is not something you're going to hear every day, right? Wow. And, and basically, her point is a valid one, especially today with the scrutiny in particular yeah. that women still get on television, in film, and in the media in general. She said, if I don't look right, they won't hear a word I say. And she was absolutely bang on with it. That's but so back depressing. to the original point about research. So I. We chatted about Downton. We had a giddy old time. I was very lucky because we had quite a long time with her. And you don't, as I say, get, normally get that amount of time with her. And fascinated by Hollywood history as I am, this was incredible. Yeah. Um, she asked me towards the end of the interview a question that was pertinent only to the last chapter. And if I hadn't read the whole book, <gasps> I would have fallen into that minefield. Oh, my God. So, and she's no fool. So that's... That's what I mean about preparing. And so if anyone ever asked me, or oh, has, has there ever been a bad interview? I said, I'm sure there are some interviews where I haven't got the line out of them or, you know, we, we, we might not have had as much fun as I'd hoped or anticipated, but that's the same with any encounter. Mm -hmm. But if you've done your research, you can always turn it around and you can yeah. always make it work. And it gives you wiggle room. Yeah, it really does. It really yeah. does. So, yeah, I know I might be giving the impression I'm sort of faintly professional at this moment. <laughs> so we might have to lose this from the edit because it will really damage my brand. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's a real privilege to meet these people. And again, it's, it's the extraordinary and the ordinary. It, it, from any walk of life, working in breakfast television, you never know who's coming through the door because invariably, and as we've seen, uh, you know, the headlines are, can be dreadful. And so you're meeting people who are always at the heart of the story. So you can be shaking hands with sports heroes or prime ministers. A-listers, or you can meet someone who's very much in the papers for the, the, the worst kind of news and the worst kind of situation, but you get to meet them all every day. And that, that's an extraordinary privilege and, uh, and very much an eye-opener. And I think also dur during the pandemic, which is when we met, obviously, yeah. um, through the miracle of Zoom, <laughs> when we were doing our Insta story, is uh, people I found, anyway, the people I was interviewing, um, well, A, it was great because no one could leave the home, so they were all available for comment. Yeah, they so were trapped. we had great content every day on the show <laughs> because I'm like, could you get Mariah Carey on the phone again? She's doing nothing. I know she's doing nothing. She's at home. Um, <laughs> I lost track of how many times Gloria Estefan was in my kitchen. Um, but, you know, you, that people were available, so you could actually, you know, chat. As you can hear from that sound, moving on to the final wine, which is a red. And Richard, I remember you saying that you really love Bordeaux. You don't really like overly big, oaky, fruity, ripe, blockbuster fruit bombs? No. So you like your Pinots, you like your multiple Chianos. I'm not a fan of uh, an awful lot of fruit. I've had some great Cab Savs in California over the years, having said yeah. that. Uh, and vanilla and I do not go hand in hand, even with a scoop. Yeah, no, amen to that. So I've deliberately thought about that in the style of wine. I also, we discussed and we previously spoke about 
a wine country which we both kind of wanted to go to. We appreciated the wines, but we, like, yeah, you hadn't been there yet. Go on. We are now, I'm bringing you to Portugal. Oh, okay. And actually, last year I went for the first time, I was doing some wine judging, and I went to Lisbon for the first time. My favourite, favourite city. And so I wanted to choose a wine from near Lisboa, and it is a blend of, well, predominantly Torriga Nacional, 60%, which is the main grape which you normally find in port in the Douro Valley, but actually is an awesome dark plum, great Cabernet Sauvignon alternative. We have 25% Tinto Rorith and 15% of 80-year-old Syrah, which kind of gives it this leathery, rustic, earthy, dude ranch element okay and um so yeah it, this wine definitely it's not too fruity it does have the Torriga Nacional which gives it a plum red fruit but really what you have going on is this like leathery spice from the Syrah it's only nine kilometers away um from the ocean so there's like a little bit of a kind of salty coquettish tang and very vivid acidity to it which makes it again perfect for a louche lunch and um I also thought it was interesting because you love Chablis and this wine is called Fossil due to the fact that these soils, very near Lisbon, have very similar soil to what you would find in Chablis, these Comigerian soil, these kind of old fossilised chalky limestone soils which gives it kind of extra I thought, I thought you were about to say, well, fossil and contains letters of the alphabet and so does Chablis. So that's the connection. Yeah, so this, even from Hedonism Wine, which, you know, is pretty luxe, and it's from Valle de Capucha, that's the name of the winery, and this was £21. So okay. even from Hedonism Wines, this isn't too crazy. And it's 2018, so it's had a bit of age to it. But as you see, this is not a fruity red. Yes, there are, like, dark red and kind of plum kind of fruit, which figures, but actually... It's more kind of the salty brininess. It's more this kind yeah, of leathery. Is a, there is a real. Yeah. If you mention leather again, <laughs> I may leave. Um, <laughs> okay. But see, it's almost. I don't want to say iodiney because that like doesn't like that doesn't make it sound delicious. But it is a really powerful, very focused. I would like this chilled. Yeah. Is can, that interesting? I mean, I almost feel like I wish I'd also ordered a charcuterie board because I almost feel like with the rusticity of it yeah. and the savouriness of it and that kind of umami kind of quality. Um, I mean, it's delicious. It is delicious. This winemaker, when he's not making wine, he spends the rest of his time breeding Jack Russells. Wow. So I was just like, oh, okay. Like to have a delicious, elegant kind of Portuguese wine who also happens to be a maze, like a major, major dog lover. This, this makes sense for you. It does. It makes absolute sense. Because you have Clemmy, mm. who's almost going to be seven. Eight, nearly eight. Oh, nearly I eight. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and I remember being so incredibly nervous picking her up. I've never had a dog, never had pets. And I, I don't know whether that's because mum and dad thought I'd, I'd end up sort of being too attached to them. Uh, but I... Let's just say it was my first experience. So I was incredibly nervous. It was a, uh, either a, a problem with the trains that day, because I remember I, I joked about going to pick up Clemmy on air. And uh, when I got to the station, um, I had to, to catch this train to get there in time to pick her up. I had to leap across the barriers. I mean, it was one of those, sort of, it feels like a rom-com, doesn't it? Yeah. One of those um, yeah, flicks. 
And like a Richard like, Curtis oh, movie totally or something. Totally Richard Curtis. And it, it, in fact, one of the guards did say, go get your girl. I'm like, <laughs> so this should all be in slow motion, right? Then I remember arriving at the station in Lancashire and there was a fracking demonstration going on. And I'm thinking, how much more jeopardy can there be? I'm so nervous about picking up this little creature. And I remember going into, um, going into the breeders who we'd already visited to make sure everything was kosher, and, and which clearly is something I'm, I'm strongly advocate mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. And um, Clemmie, by that point, had been separated from the litter uh, with a view to sort of getting her acclimated to, um, or acclimatised, I should say, that sounded a little bit transatlantic, uh, getting uh, acclimatised to, to, to being called Clemmie. And uh, I went into the living room and I remember um, the woman <laughs> who was uh, uh, giving, giving us Clemmie, um, Clemmie was watching daytime television, which was perfect really. She was watching um, this morning and um, the woman walked in and she looked at the television and she went, didn't he used to be in the broom cupboard? I went, yeah, that's Philip Schofield. (laughs) (laughs) At which point I packed Clemmy up and I brought her home and uh, never looked back. She's called Clemmy. Uh, She's named after Winston Churchill's wife. Uh, Why? Nothing to do with politics, uh, just to do with the fact that um, I I feel Clemmy was the perfect name for a long-suffering companion and Given my sort of passion for uh, Texas and the South, then I thought Clementine was also was also a good uh, sort of twist on it. So yeah, Clemmy, and born on the same day as the Queen, randomly. And I'd expect nothing less. You expect nothing less. Yeah. She is an absolute godsend. I mean, what a comfort. I mean, anyone listening to this will know what a huge comfort these pets can be. And since oh, yeah. we talked about my my. Uh, father passing away. I remember the comfort that she gave to us as a family during that particular time, particularly to mum. And uh, yeah, it's extraordinary. I can I can take a sharp, deep intake of breath watching something on the television, and she will automatically come to me. And I'm sure many dog lovers will be familiar with this and their their pooches. But she'll sort of literally put her paws on me and almost like she's trying to sort of talk me down. Um, and I bet if you're ill and in bed, I bet she doesn't leave your side. She is very, very diligent when it comes to bedside manner. She's also, yeah. as many people listening who have dogs, whatever size, uh, a bit of a bed hog. So uh, it, they curl up, but you wake up like you're sleeping with a pony. So I'm always, <laughs> I'm always the edge of the bed. And I'm thinking, <laughs> girl, I need this sleep. <laughs> I'm the one who's paying the mortgage, right? It's called Breakfast TV. Uh, no, so, I mean, she's been terrific comfort. And I know that you're a patron for, for various philanthropic causes, whether it's Sue Ryder, whether it's the National Brain Appeal, and you also work with British Guide Dogs as well. I love, yes, I love, I have an association with the Dogs Trust. And uh, for Guide Dogs, uh, I think it was a huge source of grief for my other half when I sponsored a a guide dog for Christmas uh, for him and he realised that when he went to a neighbour's house they also had the same dog pinned to their fridge door. I said, you do know you don't actually get Marley. We are contributing a verse to the charity as a whole and to raising these dogs, right? Because as we know, you shouldn't be giving dogs at Christmas. Uh, Sue Ryder, I'm very passionate about... um, uh, and the National Brain Appeal again. So, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a lovely 
part of the job is uh, being able to have a platform where you can uh, promote these causes. Everybody else does the hard graft, but if you can get some sizzle and draw attention to those causes and, and, and charities, particularly the smaller ones, yeah. then then hopefully you're contributing your verse, you're doing your bit. So yeah, that, that, that's, that is very important to me. If you could only do one more reality TV competition, what would it be? Oh, do you know, that's a really good question. Um, I... I remember doing the first ever um, series of Celebrity Masterchef on the subject of food and wine. And so this is a very long time ago. And we actually did all the heats at the uh, at City University where I studied journalism, which will come as a huge shock to people who tune into Good Morning Britain every day. Um, and um, there was some studying involved. There's a certificate. I'll have it laminated. I will send it up to everyone that listens to this. Um, so... Uh, that was a fantastic experience. It's very weird working on a cooking show or doing a cooking challenge when you're so used to... I was speaking to uh, Deborah Meaden the other day because she was obviously doing a little bit of Bake Off action. And I said, it's so weird, isn't it, when the cameras are pointing at your hands and not at your face because you're so used to talking. And if, even if you're fluffing or, mm-hmm, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you can you can just recover but if a camera's on your hands and you're covered they're covered in blue plasters ain't no coming back from that girl uh or chipped nail polish oh chipped nail polish which is, i know from a wine perspective my mum's told me off for that i had noticed you should have got that sorted before i arrived so <laughs> i i i loved doing those shows because they always sort of take you out of your comfort zone I, i've been offered uh, dancing on ice many 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 times years ago tall and dean Mm. who I believe may even still be trapped here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> they've always said, would you do it, would you do it, would you do it? And I, I, I just don't have the... Don't um, go into the room on the second. Course. Right. Yeah, I'm not going upstairs. Ignore that, I ignore that terrified. door. There's a, there's a lot of panels that look like they could open here and only one door, which is why I, um, I've now got a bit of a bead on. And it's not just the fine wines that you've served and the dazzling company as always. Um, they've asked me constantly, to all to do it, which is very flattering. I just, they believe too that everybody with a bit of dedication and a bit of heart can do it. But I have such a fat head, which is quite common in television, I've been told. Large heads. I look like a Pez dispenser. You're too young to remember those. I, but, I know Pezzers. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, well, my centre of gravity is so high that I can't stand on ice, never mind skate on it. <laughs> uh, but put me in a Cuban heel, which is... Julian McDonald once said to me, don't worry, Richard, a Cuban heel always spreads the weight. Um, I thought, thank you, Julian. I'll take that from you. Uh, put me in a Cuban heel and I'm fine on a dance floor, but on ice, um, I'm afraid not. Well, and I don't want you to be nervous for this bit, but I love this section. Do you? This is always the part when before I shove my guests in a room and they get locked away forever. Right. I mean, when we're starting to wrap up, we have the wine confessional where guests can reveal a story of kind of funny times, embarrassment, which involves kind of a wine-centered scenario. Okay, right. Now, you, you did flag this to me. Yes. Uh, because it does I'm nice pa- like that. I know, you are, you are, you are. If you're going to throw someone under the bus <laughs> uh, or put someone in a chair, Alec Graham Norton, and I'm assuming that if this isn't the sofa bed, I'm about to just plunge through a hole in the floor at the moment <laughs> if I get this wrong. He wouldn't give me that sofa. No, <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't. <laughs> um, I, I, it's, I, I would imagine that people might think that, that, that any 
uh, story that I've got regarding wine might involve me being inebriated and waking up in a skip outside Nando's. Uh, but it doesn't, so I hate to disappoint. <laughs> but when I went to Sonoma for the first time, I was with my other half who'd never been to San Francisco. And we did the whole Armistead Morpin Tales of the City uh, tour, if you like. Big fan of the books. Huge fan of Armistead. And so sort of San Francisco was done and dusted. I'd been lucky enough to have gone before, but he hadn't. And then for a little bit of R&R, we went out to um, uh, Sonoma. We were staying in this property, which was very nice. And uh, we decided to do a wine tour and uh, we'd arranged it and this chap picked us up and it was, uh, as so often is the case in America, you know, it was one of these sort of comedy stretch limos, right? So we get in this limo and we go around a few of the vineyards and I'm like, this is great, this is great. And so I'm literally knocking on the window going, um, do you know where they filmed Falcon Crest? <laughs> now Falcon Crest was a 1980s soap opera made by the same people that gave us Dallas and not yeah. Landing. And Falcon Crest was all about a very wealthy family who lived in uh, Napa and uh, it was all to do with wine. So it was a wine super soap, yeah. right? Yeah, okay, that makes it? sense, yeah. Right. Okay, so I remember watching the very first episode when we moved up to Scotland and I was sat on a tea chest as mum and dad unpacked all our belongings into this bungalow. And mum came through and said, are you all right, son? My legs are dangling off this tea chest. The year was 1981, I think. And I said, yeah, I'm just watching this new show. I think it's going to run and run. Well, it did. It ran until about 1989. So picture it all these years later when I say to this chap who's driving this stretch limo, I said, where did they film Falcon Crest? And he said, well, actually, I do know the owner and it's privately owned, but would you like to go? No way. So we went to Falcon Crest. And we didn't imbibe, obviously, because it was a private home. We were given permission to have a wander around. And because we were in a stretch limo, anyone old enough to be familiar with the show will know that Jane Wyman, who was the leading matriarch of the show, arrived in the opening credits with a limo window coming down and her smiling. So you can imagine the strings, the soundtrack, the, the opening credits. My poor other half, had no idea what Falcon Crest was, <laughs> realised it was another soapy, as they call it in Australia, and that he would have to indulge me this entire trip. So he had to film me countless no. times arriving outside the winery no. with the window coming down perfectly timed so I looked like Jane Wyman <laughs> in the opening credits. So inebriated I wasn't, but giddy, yes, I was. And I, you know what? After this, Amelia, I will trawl through my archive of some 60,000 photos, such as the digital age, and I'll pull out a picture of me uh, I want to see at this. Falcon Crest. Uh, and uh, we'll put it this way. It's so far back, I'm wearing a combat short. <laughs> Amelia, I'm retiring from public life after this. I'm exhausted. <laughs> But it's very flattering of you. <laughs> but just to point out, I am on the wrong end of the sofa and she is guarding the door. Um, <laughs> we haven't established whether or not this is a sofa bed because I may need to sleep eventually. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first guest. <laughs> oh, oh, and there we have. I told you, eventually I get a line out of you. This has been an absolute privilege. 
Oh. It really has. I've loved every minute of oh, it. I was so looking forward to our loose lunch. I also would like every listener to write on a postcard in the good old-fashioned vein of television of old and see if anyone's come up with my safe word yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I can get out of here. So, well, to help... Shall we drink? Drink. If, 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 well, I was like, how, what should I promote? But you can see Richard every single day on GMTV, Good Morning Britain. For which I could... Oh, well, I have to apologise. But yes, every morning. Every morning, Monday to Friday. Crack of a sparrow's cough. And cheers <laughs> to everyone at home. And God bless you and health and happiness. Thank you so much. Oh, I wouldn't wash my dog with this. Where did you get this? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope that this has inspired you to grab a glass and have a wonderful conversation with someone close to you. If you have enjoyed this episode, please can you like and review because I've heard that this is how people can find me. And if you are interested in any of the wines featured in today's episode, all wine notes are included in the podcast description below. You can also find ways to contact me via my email, website and social media handles. The common theme is at Amelia's Wine. You do need to remember though that there is a hyphen between Amelia's and wine. Otherwise it looks like Amelia's Swine. Thank you so much again and back in blessings. <laughs>